You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their life, ups and downs, how they got to where they are, and how they deal with life, even here in the here and the now. Because I believe that your feelings of joy, enoughness, being accepted, being loved, aren't out there somewhere. Once I get here, then I'll feel that. It usually won't happen. You'll just keep chasing those feelings. And so it's up to us to claim it every single day, how we want to feel in our lives. Today's episode is with someone so special to me, Tercy's Engelhart. She is the co-founder of Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre, grandmother of 13, farm girl, baker, author, follower, encourager. She's an amazing human one of my biggest mentors, a lot of lessons that I've learned and tools that I use come from her and her husband, Matthew. Let's get into the episode because Tercy's is amazing. Where will I start with Tercy's? Ah, you're so cute. <laughs> I guess I'll start with, yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind. So you have been, uh, I guess I would call you a mentor, teacher for sure. For many years, and that was, I met you when you had created your board game. I think you had several books out into the world already. Cafe Gratitude restaurants. There were several locations in the San Francisco Bay area. I think mm. I met you in maybe 2000. When was it actually? 2008 or not. My father died in 2008, and I feel like it might have been the year after he passed away. Oh, wow. That I, the first time we met, Billy Bushwallow and I drove from San Diego mm. to San Francisco to like take a workshop wow. with you at the in urging. The city? Of, in I the believe city? so, yeah. Wow, so up in SF yeah. and stayed like at the Central years. Kitchen. Yeah. And you were single, no children. Single, no children. Um, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the beginning of 2009. So I had yet to start touring as the joyologist, but it started shortly after that. Yeah, yeah, I remember so it was when, a yeah. big phase in my life where I'd finished sound. I was ready for something more like, okay, I have, you know, I've always felt this way about life and been working on myself and my body and how I take care of myself and thoughts. And my dad's death made me be really woken to like, I have to do more to support other people to wake them up to living. So I'd had those months at home and it like, you know, doing my own work, doing yoga teacher training. And then like you, you guys need to go take this workshop up in San Francisco. Here, take my car and drive there even. <laughs> wow. Who told you that? Jason. Oh, Jason Mraz. Yeah. Jason. At the, we love you know, him. from from yeah. John Morrow's then urging. Jason. Um, probably, yeah. yeah. The genealogy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so at that point, you had already created a lot of amazing things in the world. Where did your journey in this like self-development, personal development start? Like, or what got you on that path? That's a great question. That you <laughs> have done a lot <laughs> oh, of work I make up to be able to create so much work. Yeah, that's such a great question, right? Where does it start for all of us? Which it's like, yeah, I'm sure there's let many different like points of entry, yeah. but maybe... I mean, it's it's great, Trisha, because I can hear you saying that service, serving others is what actually motivated your journey, like your father's passing and the awareness of probably the fragility of life. Yeah. And then, you know, your your own work and then what leads in 
that leads into then is wanting that for others, yeah. which I think that service is a part of almost every path. So for me, it was very similar. For me, I was um, still in the midst of 20 years of an eating disorder. So, you know, where did it start? I mean, you could go all the way back to the early abuse in my life, right? But that was more what led to me going within and withdrawing from people and isolating more and then living, you know, in really the life of survival of an addict from 16 years old to 36 years old, right? But so, you were living in survival and addicts, so like... 16 to 36, so... So people in your life were addicts and that you no, were... Or you were an yeah, addict and yeah. living in... So sexual abuse as a teen and then eating disorder. I mean, how I compensate, how I coped, you know, it was kept a secret and how I coped. So I lived inside of anorexia and then bulimia to live uh, until I was 36. But at 36... Um, what happened was, you know, I was living on a military base. I was the wife of a military officer. He was away on deployment and I came out of the bathroom. I mean, I can still see the exact moment. I came out of the bathroom downstairs off the kitchen and Molly, my daughter, who was probably seven, maybe eight then, uh, she's, she was sitting on the floor outside the bathroom door and had probably heard me throw up. And said, when I came out, mommy, are you okay? And of course, I just brushed her off and was like, of course I'm okay. Why are you even asking? You know, like that was the attitude I had. I didn't say that. I'm sure I just said, yeah, of course. But there was this flash, like this moment where I had a glimpse into wow, I'm actually doing to her the same thing that was done to me as a child. And that's like, not okay. And that was the moment when I said, that's it. And I began, you know, what today I would call my now 34 years of recovery. So there was something in that moment that I could see. And then I went upstairs and I got in the shower and I heard this voice. Um, that said, you know, tell the truth. And I I was kind of like, well, what do you mean? I always tell the truth. Like, you know, I, I, I always just brushed off anything that got really close to the wound. And then I got out of the shower, the phone rang. I picked up the phone. Somebody asked me where a package was that I was mailing them and it was sitting on my desk. But I looked down and said, I don't know, it should be there. And I saw, oh my gosh, I just Uh. lied. And so I took on telling the truth, like my life depended on it, which ultimately it did. And that included telling the truth of the abuse in the past, which was now like 20 years ago. And that began the unraveling of my life, but it also began the living of a whole new life. That was the moment that shifted for me everything. Wow. And and that led into a crazy process of recovery that ultimately brought me here. So when you said, like, finally telling the truth about the abuse, had you never told anyone? Anyone, anyone. anyone. No one knew I was. Holy shit. And no one knew I had an eating disorder. I mean, so I lived this very, you know, chameleon life and, and secrecy, but, you know, 
I became very good at that, right? I yeah. could kind of almost, you know, conduct a world where I could move people around and create privacy and secrecy and yet occur very outgoing and connected and and right. it must have became so natural to you totally, because totally natural. I mean, it's just the way my life was. It kind of, you know, I used to say, um, I don't know if you ever watched this movie because now it's dated, but Romancing the Stone, my life was a bit crazy like that, but it was also exciting and adventurous. But that was the optimistic, positive side of me making the best of a tragic situation. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I was all of my children. I was an addict when all of my children were born. You know, I was married and married and divorced three times during those years of addiction. Addiction to food. Oh, got it. I mean, I had a full on blown, massive struggle with eating disorder. Yeah. My life was very addicted. I lived a very addicted life. And when you said that moment of her, like what woke you up was what you're doing to her, what was done to you. What did that mean? Like sort of being like, everything's okay? Like sort of- I don't know. Teaching her to mistrust herself. Teaching her to mistrust herself. Not trust her own intuition, that own inner inner guide that I believe is in all of us. Because she's thinking something's wrong. Something's Something's not right here. And you're just, no, no, no. Everything's fine. Blow over it. So don't trust what you are feeling that something's not right here. Yeah. Which she was right right about. Just like I could see the setup for myself as a child leading into the abuse was- yeah, to mistrust my own, you know, intuition, mistrust myself and instead trust someone outside of me. That is what led to the abuse. Thinking someone knows better than me about me. Got it. Wow. So you start with, I'm going to tell, okay, you have mm-hmm. this voice, tell the truth. You start telling the truth mm-hmm. about everything. And that does that start with like coming clean to your husband or was he mm-hmm. at he was, home? So he was deployed at he the was time. Deployed. He came home. Yes. And then. Um, and how was that for him? Like, how was that? You know, that's a great that? question. You know, he and I are, he and I are friends now. We're, we're good friends or our families, you know, our friends. And it took years to get to that because. You know, my recovery, my recovery, while I would say was very spiritually guided, was also messy. You know, I had, there was so much to clean up I'm and so sure. much to unravel. And I mean, I, I, I don't know what, what must, what it must have been like for him to question, how could I not have known this? Right. You know, we had been married for years, but um, he was also struggling with his own issues, of course. And so it began a collective journey. He, he, he began his own journey of, of healing and ultimately restoration. And both of us actually have that journey in common now. And, um, we share a child. Uh, so, you know, I've gone back also and made amends with, you know, the father of my two oldest children, who was a Vietnam vet, who, when we got married was addicted to heroin, but I didn't notice, you know, one of the things about an addict is you're all caught. It's so self-absorbed. You're all caught in your own world and your own addiction and maneuvering your own life. You don't actually notice other people's. Um, and so, but, you know, he, Jimmy and I are also, are also friends. We've stayed connected throughout our life. And, um, you know, uh, you know, he's never really shared either, like, what what was it like for him? But he had his own addiction. And so his journey has been, you know, what his journey has been. So. So that, so when you had this relation, that was your second marriage? Or uh, well, I was actually married. So right out of high school, okay. right out of high school, out of the hospital, you know, early, 
early, early, uh, I mean, I, you know, in the, in the sixties, people didn't know it was an eating disorder. It wasn't like it is today. Where so you went to the hospital. Yeah, I was hospitalized and that's where actually, that's actually part of the abuse story. But uh-huh. so when I came out of the hospital and, you know, my parents were very protective and of course just wanted me to eat and get better and have this whole thing go away. And then I started going to college in a local college, lived at home, but my high school boyfriend and I then got married at semester break and we were only married one year. And that for me, that was really, you know, I just, I needed to get out of the house. I needed to get away. And, you know, that was only one year. And then there were several years before, you know, I got out of high school, got out of college and then joined the airlines. And it was years before I got married. You know, I was married when I was 25 and this all began when I was like 16, I was married the first time when I was like 17 and a half, divorced wow. at 18 and a half, and then 25 got remarried. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> breathe, Tricia, breathe. <laughs> okay. So then, so what happens then? It, I, you end up getting, eventually you're working on your things. It, you divorce the husband. Like, where does your journey then go into like what happened? Okay, right. So really and- that voice was the beginning. So there were four you know, I just then really began to, I mean, it was a few years before we got divorced. We worked on the marriage. We tried to make it work. Um, and then ultimately- Well, and also we up- at that point you've named, okay, I have like, so the abuse is one thing to deal with that you're just now opening up about that then I'm sure brings it back into your reality more. But then you're naming, you have an eating disorder, but that then you still then have to do the work right. on so the healing. Reco- right. Yeah, so the recover- re- and that was really the key piece that led to really the divorce was, um, you know, it's hard. I mean, I, I'm very sensitive to this now. I've worked with a lot of people in recovery. It's hard to um, recover in the same environment. It's hard for anyone to do that because there's a collective mm. system that's been created Right. That the addict survives inside of, right? That so it's very sense. difficult to do that. So, you know, for my husband, it was so hard for him to trust me. Like, why mm. would anyone trust me? I had been lying to people right. for so many years. I had this whole deceptive life that nobody and no knew one about. caught you. No, you and no one caught me. yourself, and no one knew it. So you can imagine the mistrust that was in that uh, yeah. space, right? And yet, I needed to be trusted in order. To to recover. It's like, I do a lot of work with people around trust. People think trust is something you earn. It's actually a gift. It's something you give. Um, if someone, and you give it because you want to be a trusting person. And does that mean that you'll be able to trust all people and they won't betray you? Of course not. But it, but their betrayal doesn't change you from being a trusting person. And that's so key, Trisha. Like, do I want to know myself as someone who's mistrustful? No, I don't want to live the life of a mistrusting person. But yet, how do you continue to trust when you suspect <laughs> that someone is going to betray you? Right. Well, well, and you key, have right? so many wounds from other people. Yeah. But see, you. we all know that journey leads to nowhere. Because yeah. if I'm mistrustful, what will show up is betrayal. Yeah. Because only betrayal can show up in a mistrustful environment. So I knew that I I was aware of that enough. Again, trusting that intuition, I just knew if I stay in an environment where I'm not trusted, I will relapse. And so I knew I needed to, I knew I needed to make myself and my recovery and my healing, my primary focus. Now, is that easy to do when you have three children? Yeah. No, it's not easy to do when you have three children. Fortunately, children can be an amazing asset, I believe, 
to someone in recovery because kids are just all in. You know, once I told my kids, they were just like, yeah, let's do this. You know, they were all into it because children are like that. They can fluctuate. They can change easily. They want their parents to win. They want their parents to be healthy and well. So my kids were really some of my uh, greatest supporters. Um, And that was part of being truthful was not hiding it because I had to be able to say to them, no, mommy's not actually able to drive you through that restaurant now and get you food. Like that's just way too tempting for me. Let's do something. I mean, I had to learn to be very transparent and very honest in order to not trip myself up, so to speak. Yeah. And I started doing bizarre things. I get it. You know, I, back then Walkmans were the source of music. So I bought a Walkman. I got some jogging shorts. I started jogging. I lived on base. I started jogging around a track on base. I wasn't a runner, but I needed to switch up my patterns and habits. So I brought someone in, you know, who I helped pay their medical bills and help them their life and they cooked for us. So I had somebody cook for the kids and I, I needed to get out of the kitchen, break the patterns. I started using my non-dominant hand to write and to comb my hair and to brush my teeth. Now the insights to do these things, that was all this renewed, you know, connection to my own inner intuition, that guide, whatever you call that, that guide, you know, that the Holy Spirit, the yeah. the source of love, what, whatever you, were you just want to like call that. Hearing these I just things trusted it. I just, I trusted it. I, I re, it was the first thing I had probably trusted in, you know, 20 years. So, and that guided me through. It was like, tell, you know, tell the truth was the first guidance I was given. And the second guidance I was given was face your fears because as soon as you tell the truth, the reason we don't tell the truth, I mean, I would just afraid. suggest everyone who's listening to this check in with themselves. The reason you don't tell the truth is because you're afraid mm-hmm. of something. Yeah. You're afraid your marriage will fall apart. You're afraid yeah. people will see you're an imperfect human being. You're afraid whatever, right? Yeah. And so the second thing was face my fears. And what face my fears meant to me was just walk into them, lean into them, don't run from them. I mean, at that time, I had a a group of women, an organization I was leading, and I remember standing up in front of them and saying, "I just need to step back a minute. I need to, I I need to slow down. I need to make my health my primary goal. This is what I've been dealing with." And you know, the same thing. People are like, "Well, why would I believe you now? I believed you then." And I said, "You know, that's that's for you to work out. You know, I can't, I can't work that out for you. That's." your journey, you know, because all of our journeys are connected. That's why in a family system, when someone begins, when someone is identified and needs to recover, everyone has work to do Yeah, because we're all connected in the dysfunction of whether it's a family or a community or that's what that's what it takes to do that. We all help each other heal. Yeah. That's, I love, you just, I love that you just brought it around a lot because what I was going to ask is, and it was like, did you then open up to your parents yeah. finally? And what was that then like? And your, your relationship, did that put more strain in relationship or open? I'm guessing then that relationship needed work from you coming. Well, you know, it's interesting because, okay, not, we're, we're talking a different time, right? This is like the yeah. 60s and 70s and then 80s. And then, you know, my parents are obviously born in the early 20s and, you know, yeah. their lives. So, um, you know, for my parents, they never really talked about it until my dad's death was pretty imminent. And then we had a really powerful conversation. But, you know, I think the parents in 
of my parents' generation, um, they didn't do a lot of the soul searching that, you know, my generation and future generations, you know, may or may not do. They didn't do that. So for my parents, I think, um, you know, there's always that question that unfortunately and fortunately, it's kind of both sides of the same coin. Everyone who knew me and didn't know what I was going through ultimately had to answer for themselves, where was I? Yeah. How did I miss this? Um, my father, like I said, it wasn't really until near the end of his life that we had this conversation one day when, you know, it was very poignant and he asked me, so, so wait, so like you were sick when you were pregnant with all of your children, you know, I could see him beginning to piece together the question, what must that have been like for her? Which I think when most people are confronted with something, with someone else's pain, what they deal with is their own pain. And Mm -hmm. it takes a while for someone to move into the concern and consideration for the other person's pain. And my father was finally there. And I said, you know, dad, it was like the scariest thing ever. I mean, you can imagine now as a mother with children, what it might be like to have been um, an addict through the birth, the pregnancies and birth of your children. You can probably begin to imagine. Yeah. So and, that's, you're pregnant and then because of your, does that mean like you're still it's like starving yourself a absolutely. bit? Absolutely. It's like, yeah. 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 And so, and, but your mind is probably still yeah, like, like, I have to nourish this baby. But then you are, you have this other, this side of you that's. Is just, my child, no, it was worse. It's, it, is my child even going to have a head? I uh, mean, that's how it, the, the, But you couldn't even get yourself yeah, to I didn't fully go to, stop yourself. I didn't go to doctors. I, I didn't, my middle child, um, I had prenatal care through the military. My youngest child, my middle child, none. So you never went to the doctor while you're pregnant because of the fear of something might be wrong and then they'll find out or? No, I had an abuse history that included the medical field and I was was poor. I was um, a single parent. My my husband had gone back to Oregon. You know, I was, um, you know, a single mom. I, I was waiting tables. I had, you know, a young child. Fortunately, an amazing, beautiful couple took me in and helped me. So, um, I mean, I I can remember my, my youngest child's father was my boss. He was the bar manager at a, at a bar where I worked and, um, you know, he was very kind and generous. And I remember saying to him, wow, I, I think I'm going to have a baby tonight. And I mean, he looked up in the yellow pages, a hospital, and I can remember he drove down a one-way street, the wrong way to get there, but I didn't even really look that pregnant because I hadn't gained a lot of weight Wow! with my, that was my daughter, my middle child. So, you know, I mean, there's all these, there's all, there's a lot, I'm writing a book. So <laughs> this is all, this is all coming out more of my to book, come. more to my, more, but, um, it was, um, you know, I think when my father said that to me and I said, you know, it was really hard, dad, you know, it was like, I was afraid. And then my mom was in the kitchen cooking and she kind of yelled out because she could hear my father getting emotional and she was concerned for his health. And she kind of yelled out, you know, like Marsha is my birth name. And she yelled out, you know, like, Marsha, stop it. Your father can't handle this. And my father, which he rarely yelled at my mother, I remember yelled back and said, you know, 
Leona, did you hear what she said? She said it was hard for her, you know, when she was pregnant. And I, you know, my mother's response was, well, I always, you know, it became kind of about her. I always like, I I felt so wonderful being pregnant. I always, my father was furious and he kind of got up and um, began to walk out the door and then he just sobbed. He just started sobbing and he said, um, my father was a, a military pilot. He, he'd lived through World War II and he never talked about it, but he said, um, you know, I remember we were sitting around in a tent having breakfast and a raid alarm went off and we went out and flew our mission and we came back and we sat around at dinner and there were like five empty chairs. And I told myself, I will never, ever get that close to anyone ever again. And that was the m- most emotional um, and transparent my father had ever been in my entire life. And then he walked out the door and my mom was upset and I walked after him. And so I think, see, even that story, Trish, you see how one person's um, vulnerability, one person's healing actually leads to another person's healing because my father had never been able to talk about that. And my father was an amazingly patient, kind, incredible human being, but he was very private. He didn't have a lot of friends. My mother was more, you know, the social engaging one. My father had just a high level of integrity and fairness and compassion, but it took I mean, that was years into my recovery. Um, I was 43 when my father died, and that was shortly before he died. And I began my recovery at 36. So that was years in. Yeah. So it takes, so how did my parents respond? That was the question. <laughs> you know, it begins kind of the unraveling of everyone's, mm-hmm. um, you know, built, created life in order to, you know, survive instead of, in my view now, like really live like free, free yeah. of the constraints of your past. And um, with the recognition that we're all flawed and that we're all human and that we, um, we all make mistakes. And yet our love is not based on the perfection of human beings. Our love is based on the compassion for the perfection or the imperfection of human beings. So it's been a journey, you know, yeah, it's yeah. been a long journey. Um, How did, I can only imagine that moment of your father yelling back at your mother after she's like talking about how amazing her pregnancies out of that field you have your dad like standing up for you. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I obviously I still remember that it was years and years ago now and I, I can still see the exact scenario. And my mom went on to live, I think 16 or 17 years after my dad and you know, in the end of her life, I cared for her and, um, you know, she was incredible in her own way and her shortcomings were her shortcomings. And, you know, do I love her in spite of them? Absolutely. You know, yeah. and were, was there, did I experience loss and pain and sadness? Yes, I did. And I'm certain she did as well. You know, yeah. so I think it's important for us to recognize. I think it's important. It's important for me to recognize. And ultimately I've, I believe that's true for others that it's not, it's not how good life is that brings us closest to people. It's what we go through in the process of creating a good life that brings us closest to people. 
Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption. The new year is about to come. Well, depending when you're listening to this. But aren't we always looking for like a way to clear out what doesn't serve us anymore and get connected to what actually does and what does bring us joy? Well, I created a 31-day email program and it's only $33. It starts the day you sign up. So you could be listening to this on January 1st or March 30th. Go to yourdoyologist.com slash connected because the program is called I Am Connected to Me. And every day you get an email with something easy to do. It could be going through your emails, deleting things. It could be going through your pantry. It could be thinking, what song brings me joy? Every single day you get something to think about, to clear out what isn't serving you, to think about what do I want? 31 days of these prompts that are easy to do, accessible. They come right to your inbox. You can keep them forever. $33. Go to yourdrialgist.com slash connected. There'll also be a link right below if you go to the um, podcast notes here. All right. Get connected to you. The world needs you to be lit up, not me walking through, just living a life of shoulds, forgetting why you're here, what you enjoy, all of that. Go through habits that you want to stop. Look through everything in your life in just easy little daily reminders. All right, yourdrialgist.com slash connected. Let's get back to the episode. When I when you were telling that story, you know, I was like felt like prongs of, oh man, like, you know, because it like it feels like she's dismissed. She doesn't want to hear about the pain or whatever. And that can I'm like in me putting myself in your place, like, wow, that feels painful. But I think now when you start your own healing and journey, then you can then see she must, she's not willing to face pain like herself. So she, you know, that it's not even like that's hurts that she's then like sort of dismissing, no, we don't go there, turns it into her about her that like, that it allows then compassion, even if, and even like in my, I'm thinking of like my own, like, relationship with my mother and stuff like that to like things aren't always perfect and great and I have a lot of pain from things but also knowing I don't have to like blame her right and it's not her it's like she's we're all humans that have gone through all sorts of traumas and journeys and stories and that are holding on to pain and like that yeah it's not because of her well and I think I, I think that's you know one of the key pieces of recovery is to recognize that things aren't personal. I mean, there's lots of people have said that, you know, um, it's, I think we need to be able, I'm, I mean, I'm newly in a new place around this because I've, I've now all these years later, 34 years into recovery. I'm, I'm actually recognizing that I experienced trauma, which I never really identified like, Oh, wow. Like trauma actually has, impacts on our brain and on our bodies. And I never actually knew or recognized that until I just recently did some really powerful work at a place called Onsite in Nashville. And so I'm in this whole new level of recovery 34 years later. So one of the things, you know, that I think is important to share with people is you know, it's a journey. It's not yes. like, yeah, I don't have the issues I had with food <laughs> any longer. And I have an amazing life. And I would say I've done an, a lot of obviously emotional and mental healing. And now I have this whole new chapter that's opened up for me in better understanding um, what actually happened and how 
I compensated for that. And part of that is what you're pointing to, Tricia, which is I grew up in an environment of like, just get over it, like mm-hmm. get on, I move think on. A lot of us did. And just like pull yourself up from the bootstraps, keep going, make the best of things. And, and that's a valid response and it works to a point. But consider there's another level of freedom that's available that comes through being able to go back and actually acknowledge the pain and then name it and then discover what was the message that you took from that and then how you created, um, you created an aspect of your person to compensate for that and then be able to go back and begin to do the repair. But you have to be able to feel it first. And I think, Trisha, you know, I did a lot of healing um, without really genuinely feeling because we avoid that. We avoid the pain. Everyone avoids pain. Who signs up for, yeah, let's go to a workshop on pain. No, we avoid pain. That's what we do. And as parents- Oh, we're going to go feel and be in pain for a week. No. No. And as parents, you want your children, you want your children to avoid pain. So my mother just wanted to avoid the pain and their way of avoiding pain was let's not look at it. My way of avoiding pain is let's go into it and feel it now. And then let's- repair it. Let's rebuild. And, you know, thank goodness. I think there is evolution in generations. I think that is an evolution in my family. And it started with me saying, when my daughter asked me that, like, no, that's not going to happen on my watch. I'm not going to pass this on one more generation because I was already living the sadness and the loss and the aloneness of a a system's inability to actually feel the pain and then begin to rebuild a healthier life. But I didn't have the ability to understand all of that right then. I just was, no, that's not happening. That's not going to happen to my children. And that was the motivation that actually led to my my own recovery. For your children to be able to pass that yep. on to them. Yeah. I was uh, surprised when you just mentioned again, the thinking feeling thing at the Unwell conference, you brought that up when you were part of a panel. And I was like, astonished to hear that from you, from someone that, yeah, like she, I was like, what does she mean by just recently started feeling <laughs> like I'm like, this is a very wise woman that, yeah. and I was just like, but of course that makes sense. Be- yeah. Like, and you can think and see and think everything. And I was like, that's so interesting to me. And I, I think I've always I've always been a feeling person. And that was a lot of my growing up. It was same sort of, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. And I always wanted to explain things. Like if mm-hmm. something happened, everybody shut up. Like I remember being told, uh, shut up. And, I'd, and I would just want to be like, I just want to say, well, this is what happened or this is why I did it. I always wanted to explain myself and not in the purpose of, I remember very clearly, like not being like, I'm not saying I'm going to tell you this and then you'll let me off the hook or something. I just always felt the need to like, mm-hmm. explain in this and it was always shut up. And I think that's why I've named that a carry a story I've, you know, carried on living to is nobody cares about me, mm-hmm. which made me then live into I don't yeah. need anyone. Yeah. And so and I'm like, I don't know what the exact moment because some people have like moments that that remember. And I was like, I don't know what my moment is it, but it could just be very much the shut up that well, if nobody cares about me, because if they don't want to know what I'm thinking and feeling or why I did things and yeah. nobody cares about me, I guess maybe that's what created it. But yeah, I know that a lot of my and I still like daily can catch myself buying into the 
nobody cares about me. And I know, so like, I don't need yeah. anyone. And like being like, Oh, Trisha, this is, this is you living in <laughs> nobody cares about yeah. you, which, and then I am enough story about that and whatever. And it's just, yeah. It's great work. And, and it's continual Trish, because oh, you just yes. keep, you know, <laughs> it's like, it, it is a consciousness. It is an evolution of consciousness. It, it is the awareness to be able to catch yourself and to be able to see it and not get triggered. You know, Cafe Gratitude was that, like opening Cafe Gratitude was for me really kind of the completion of the cycle. It's, you know, I used to have this thought like how cool when like somebody who's recovering from alcoholism can like walk into a bar and not get, not get triggered, not get drunk. So for me, it was opening up Cafe Gratitude was really, it was an environment where people could put their attention on being grateful and they could sit in a social environment and eat food that was like good for them and not feel guilty and not feel shame and to have all these affirmations. And it was my give back. It was, this is what came out of those years and years of recovery, which is, you know, I think that's what happens is when you begin to heal, just like you said, you heal yourself and then you want that for other people. But the interesting thing about healing is you can't give it to someone else. You can make it available. You can point people in the right direction, but ultimately they have to pull it towards them. They have to step towards it. Yeah. Yeah. Which can be a hard thing to like, have to be able to let go of like, here is all of this, but you have to. And even sometimes I'm sure you experience people that are constantly coming, wanting to change, wanting to change, wanting to change, asking the same questions, telling you the same story over and over again, but they just still don't step into doing the actual work and trying the change and wanting it so bad and being like, well, we've given you. Yep. Well, the third, the third guidance I got was stay in the moment, which is exactly what you're pointing to. It's no, not looking forward and not looking back, but just dealing with what's right here, right now. And that is what gives one the ability, I believe, to step forward. Because the reason we don't take steps forward is we're either looking past mm-hmm. and we're living in some version of regret or remorse or if only, or we look ahead in some version of yeah. anticipation, expectation, anxiety, fear, or something like that. So But how do we stay present? Like, that's really, it's like, no, this is what's in front of me right here, right now. And, you know, it, it, these are practices, you know, it's not like, (laughs) it's not like you can just hear it once, get it, and then that's done, check it off. No, you actually have to practice it and you'll see yourself fail and you'll see yourself slip and then you just draw yourself back. And like, I feel like there's not really any way to master it. It's like you do, you can become a master of it, but then you slip in, you know, it's like that the journey also, when you're saying the journey, that the journey is not like always uh, going in the same direction. No, it's not A to B. You're like, you're going, maybe go in circles. You're going real far up the hill for one time and then you plummet down and it inch your way back up and that, and that it is. And like, that's also the whole point of the name of the podcast being Claim It is that your joy, your fulfillment, your success, enoughness, feelings of worth, all of that are never going to be fixed by this one point or like, okay, I did this workshop. Like you did that on site workshop and you feel amazing. You have all these new realizations, but that doesn't mean everything's now perfect for the rest of your life. That it's like, you still have to show up every day and like be choosing that. It's like, whoa, I met the man of my dreams. I conquered this. I have the, this dream finally came true. Like that nothing is ever like, well, now everything's great. 
I'm a master at meditation. So now everything in my life is perfect. Like (laughs) every day. Well, see, and I think even listening to you, Trisha, it's like, it's so easy to think our way through life, particularly in a day of information. And we all have handheld devices that give us a resource of unbelievable knowledge. And see, I think we want to feel our way through life. And that's a slower pace of life. And it's really connecting to our hearts. You can live without your head. You can't live without your heart. So it's like, okay, remembering how important it is, like pulling things down and it takes, it's slower. It's just slower to do that. I was, you know, one of the things that I discovered recently was even in my speaking, I was saying, I think, I think, I think, oh, that's interesting. All in my mind. And, you know, part of that is, you know, that even as you go on through life and you have recovery from earlier wounds, it's not like there's no, there's no wounding happening now. Of course there is. There are disappointments. There are, there are disruptions to life. There are losses. You know, there's current events that, that activate old wounds, but are also new wounds. And so again, One of the ways to compensate for that is to think our way through those Mm -hmm. rather than to feel. How do I feel right now? Yeah. And so that's the practice I'm in now. And I've noticed how many times I ask people, you know, like, let's just say I use the words like, well, what are you present to? Or what's going on for you right now? And people will respond with a mental response. Then I'll say, well, but but how do you feel? And it takes time for people to respond to that question. Yeah. Or they ha- they can give me they can give me a thought mm-hmm. right away. I'm great. I'm awesome. Yeah. It's so interesting and that's I um when I work with my one-on-one clients we're in touch like pretty much every single day like one hour calls and then I'm like texting with them, checking in mm-hmm. and I always am asking, "How are you feeling today? How are you feeling?" Mm-hmm. And that some of my clients are like so st- the, this one client I recently worked with was like I don't think I've ever thought about that in my entire life. I don't know. How do I feel? And I was like, what do you mean you don't know how you feel or whatever? And it was just so interesting to me that, yeah, we're so out of body. Like, yeah, just like, yeah. But if we look at, if we look at the culture and the speed of life right now, we can see how we could be living what you're calling out of body or just in our heads. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. And I think, and that's what, again, I definitely have a lot going on in my head and I've always been an overthinker that that's mm -hmm. been a thing of like needing to pull back and you don't need to always be thinking all the time. But I always talk about too, that I have fibromyalgia and I've always struggled with chronic pain. And that, that for me was such a gift because I always was in the feeling of my body. And that was when I was 15, I almost committed suicide from the physical pain, but the also emotional pain Mm -hmm. of life. Mm -hmm. And that I saw, I can't do anything about the physical pain right now. And the doctors are telling me I'm crazy and there's nothing wrong, but I can do something about the emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And so because of the physical pain in my body, I've always been able to think, how do I feel? And to take really good care of myself. And I would notice, I remember quitting a job when I was 16 because I had this one job I loved and I felt good. Like Meaning I always struggled with how I felt physically and exhaustion because of the physical stuff. 
And I got this new job that my friend loved. She was the coolest girl in school and she loved this. Trisha, they're hiring somebody else. Get a job there. Got a job there and I felt miserable all the time. Every time I went to work, I felt miserable. And it wasn't as if like my pain was, you know, that, but it was real. it was, you know, like really seeing like, yeah, like if I don't like something I feel in my body or if I'm not happy, if I'm not saying something, if I'm not doing something, if mm. I'm stressed out, if I'm in fear, you feel the extra weight in your body. And I had mm. to quit that job. Mm. I was like, I don't know. This isn't for me. And like that I, because of that, like early age and not like I'm perfect, you know, like I still mm -hmm. struggle with it. But I think that that's one of the reasons I was able to tune more into my body. And that makes me stand up for myself, mm -hmm. makes me say that's the great. scary things, yeah. made me ask for the raise, made me mm -hmm. become a sound and female sound engineer when everybody told me that was in Boston when I was 19. It was like, I was just always able to go into my emotions and what am I feeling? Or is this what other people are telling mm -hmm. me? Like what feels right to me? And that, that, for me, it has been major in being yeah, able to so see great. what am I feeling. It's amazing. And you can see how, and I think this is true for all of us, but you can see how the biggest challenge also carried with it a gift. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Right. I can, I can too. I can see how, yeah, I can see how my challenge carried a gift. I think ultimately it oftentimes leads to the meaning of our life. Yeah. What our, you know, the core message we have to share or our gift to the world often comes through the challenge totally. that we face as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, like I said, I have chronic pain, which made me more notice of what I was feeling in my body, but everybody feels things mm -hmm. in their body. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I have been used to, oh, I'm feeling really heavy today. Mm -hmm. What's that about? Where did that come from? And sometimes it's like later, like, well, I'll read an email quickly go to the kitchen. My kids want something, make a meal and then notice I'm really heavy right now. Like what's going on? Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Oh, I read an email and I took that as they don't like me. This isn't mm -hmm. good enough. Mm -hmm. They question something or whatever. And I've been moving throughout this and then had to stop and say like, where did that come from? Like, what am I feeling? But like that I'm also then used to naming. I'm feeling heavy. I'm feeling, this feels like I feel, you know, I, what I was, I can't think of, but yeah, like I'm now able to then name the emotion. So for people out there, like you don't have to have chronic pain, just starting to pay attention to your body. Like I feel light. I, you want to feel light. You want to feel free. You want to feel clear. You want to feel grateful, whatever you want to feel. You want to feel joy. How are you actually physically feeling in your body? And that could mean like, great. So go drink some water and take a walk. Or it could be, oh, I'm heavy because I read too much into an email. I'm nervous about something. There's a conversation I want to have and I'm not having it. And that really tuning into your body and naming the feeling can help you sort yourself out. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. And and for example, in my case, where I was being trained really as a competitive athlete, so much of the message I got was push past the pain. Right. And that message, you know, projected me into... It was that you know, as a teenager? Of, well, I'd been a competitive swimmer since I was eight. So oh. yeah, it was like as a young child growing up, it was always push past the pain. So again, I think we have to pay attention to the messages we're giving ourselves and those we raise and yeah. those we mentor, those we employ. I think it's so important for us to pay attention. I love, I love your, how do I feel? It's beautiful. That's the work I'm in right now is... And feeling. I was gifted that because I had yeah, a lot of pain. Beautiful. And so that would then make me be like, oh, I have to say no to that because I need sleep it's or so how to like, wow, like Jill loves this job. But for some reason, I feel sh like shit here. So like something's not right about yeah. it for me. Like, yeah. So that it was a gift for me, but mm -hmm. everybody can tune into like your body 
feels things. Yeah, that's great. Really um, great. Uh, so, all right. So then how did, we talked about you wanting to, you creating Cafe Gratitude, wanting to create a place for people to come and eat these meals, but then affirmations being part of it and the question of the day and all of that, like. Well, well, okay. So when Matthew and I, yeah. when Matthew <laughs> and I first met, we were both, we were both participating in, you know, transformational work, transformation being you know, for me, it was continued on my healing path and it was something becoming available that I didn't think was available before. That's what we define as transformation. Like something opens up okay. like a new possibility that you didn't necessarily live like that was even possible for. And so we we were both involved in that work. I was teaching it. He was participating when we met. And, um, you know, when we finally became a couple, when we got together a couple years later, we knew we wanted our life to be about the transformation of others, but we also wanted it to be good food, good, healthy food. But we were trusting that guidance, that inner guidance. We said as a couple, we're just going to trust how we're led. And how we were led was invent this board game, which was like such a fluke because we didn't play board games. You know, we weren't board game inventors, but it just, you know, we we knew enough that when you get the guidance, you take the step. If you want to be continually guided, you have to trust the guidance and take the step and then you get the next guidance. And so we invented this board game and then we got and this And the intention board of the board game was? The whole intention of the board game is managing where you put your attention, consciousness. Can you shift your attention and have a new experience? Can you shift your attention from some version of not enough, not enough time, money, love, you know, whatever, not enoughness. Can you shift your attention to how we're really already provided for being grateful, loving and accepting other people, recognizing you're the creator of your life? You know, this is a co-creation. Can you, So that was the board game. And then we thought, well, what are we going to do with these? We printed, I think, 5,000. What are wow. we going to do with these games? And then we thought we'd open up a little cafe because I was a baker. He loved coffee. We lived in San Francisco. I mean, that seemed like a good idea, right? And then we ended up, uh, we went to Hawaii. I was reading about a raw food diet. And I was like, wow, this sounds so interesting because I was always interested in ongoing health and wellness. And so we tried it, felt great. And then we thought, well, let's just do that. Open up like, you know, raw food gaming parlor. What could go wrong with that? <laughs> and <laughs> But so, also how do you like, what were you guys doing at the time to like make money? And you both have children. <laughs> well, our children, remember I was, I was, I met Matthew when I was 50. We got married when I was 52. Oh, okay. We started Cafe Gratitude at 54. So, so all your kids were- For those of you that think you're behind, you have lots of time. I know. Well, yeah, we like- So our kids were grown. Like- <laughs> yeah, our kids were grown. And got then it. Matthew had sold a company. I was currently, I, right. I had an inspirational Which greeting Matthew card Matthew was the company. father of Molly Engelhart, who we somewhat yes, touched on in last her week, episode. You. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so Matthew had sold a company. So we had a bit of a nest egg and okay. we invested it in, got it. we invested in what came next. And, um, so then opened up. We opened up this. We, we started feeding people. We started feeding people from our house, um, asking people, "Do you like it? Would you pay for it? Would you <laughs> tell your friends about it? Would you drive across town for it?" So, in order for us to feed you, you had to fill out this little questionnaire. And oh. then we thought, okay, well, then people wanted us to open up a cafe. So why don't you open up a cafe? And like, well, we will when we get a sign, when we get nudged. And then one day we were driving back from a farmer's market and we saw a sign that said restaurant available and. 
We went home, looked it up on the internet, looked at the pictures. Wow, this is awesome. It was close to where we lived. We were at the time living in Pitcherell Hill in San Francisco. It was down in the mission. So anyhow, we looked at it. We, we leased it. And that became the first Cafe Gratitude. How we came up with the affirmations was, again, part of, you know, both of us brought to the design of Cafe Gratitude our individual paths. So Matthew was more like Eastern theology, gurus, meditation. I was more, you know, healing, recovery. Um, I always, you know, Jesus has always been a big teacher in my life. So we kind of merged all these aspects together and the affirmations were really, well, how can people begin to confront the negative self-talk that we all have going on, whether we're aware of it or not. And so by naming the dishes affirmations and having people order them that way and delivering the food that way, we begin to shift people's internal dialogues. And, you know, again, remember our primary goal is the transformation of life for people. And we utilized a business environment and then Great healthy food was kind of the magical combination. And at what point did you did you incorporate? So I'm guessing when you started to, it's like just you and Matthew. Did you yeah. even have any other employees? Yeah, we or? had eleven. Like we used to, we we kind of say street gypsies. We had eleven young people, you know, from kind of all walks of life that were just interested. That's why I think we kind of got labeled you know, hippie in the beginning was, it was very alternative. You know, I had this experience last week at the Unwell Conference that you mentioned where I was on this panel with all these doctors and I, and I was thinking, wow, what do I have in common with them? But what was so amazing was they were all acknowledging through science, what Matthew and I had been doing for 16 years that was alternative and kind of right. And all of a sudden it's validated through studies and scientific research that people are now aware of the impact of gratitude and optimism and forgiveness. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. So, you know, we were just kind of out on the skinny branches and investing our time and energy in really bringing up people. So we, we had these 11 people that were interested in waking up to being grateful. Some of them had almost no employment history. Some had horrible employment history, but what a great experiment. Could we take these people and support them in practicing, keeping their attention on being grateful and what might happen? And, you know, the concept took off. It, it blew up. We, we built, you know, a a big business in Northern California. And then as is part of every path, there's an element of betrayal. There's some experience of, you know, someone has the experience, I didn't get what I want or something's unfair. I forgot about what had happened in that situation. So then we had this, a few lawsuits, but in order to survive those couple employees. employees. Yeah. It was like, was it tip sharing? Tip sharing was part of it. Wow. And so all of that, I mean, again, it's like if people are listening and you're wanting to bring something out into the world, you know, that's all part of the process. So it's like that that downsizing, we had to close five restaurants, sell the building we lived in, which led us, my mother had since passed away. We'd bought a piece of land. It led us to go camp on our land, um, which we camped on for eight years. We lived basically homeless without a house. <laughs> and then we met 
you know, Chris and Lisa from Los Angeles who wanted to bring Cafe Gratitude to LA. And we gave them kind of our sons and our sons <laughs> went to LA and LA birthed while Northern California was imploding and we were camping and smelling like campfire. And, <laughs> and then, you know, LA took off and we ultimately built a house and we knew we wanted to build a home as a retreat center and a place for people to come do. Again, our primary interest is transformation. We want people to come do their own work and, you know, it's a journey, right? And now we're LA's booming and And we have a house and we live on a farm and uh, we still have our San Francisco location and our son has a Santa Cruz location and yeah, it's, it's a lot (laughs) (laughs) and it's exciting and it's amazing and it's a process. This episode is brought to you by Encircled. They are a sustainable clothing line that is on a mission to help you do more with less clothing in your closet by designing clothes that are equally parts comfortable and stylish. They have multi-wear products. Everything is sleek, is comfortable, making it easy for you to travel, to pack, and to wear at home. Use code CLAIMITPODCAST to get $20 off your order of $100 more at encircled.co. Well, talking about the idea of like that your main goal was for the transformation and even starting with those 11 people and trusting them. When did, uh, and I don't know if it's still done at the restaurants, but I remember one of the things I thought was so cool was the clearings you guys did with the employees before they went on shift. Is that something that you started at the beginning or where did that start? And I'd love to hear about, yeah, the clearings. and Started at the very beginning. We still do it. Um, you know, people said, you'll never keep that up because it's expensive. It's on the clock. We pay people. Um, I just recorded a whole practice in clearing on a new app that's coming oh, out next week, I think called G thanks. It's a gratitude app. Oh, perfect. And I recorded a training on it and it's a process where simply, you know, you, you sit, we allow 10 minutes for two people, five minutes a person, you ask someone a question Um, you know, they respond, you ask them how they feel, (laughs) they share their feelings, you repeat it, you give them a moment to feel that. And then the shift is from your head to your heart. And then you ask them the second question, which is the question of the day. But the whole design of the clearing is that, is that, um, stay in the moment principle. So it's about, Supporting people and bringing their entire self to work, not leave your problems at home. No, bring all of you. And then you can sit for a moment and take the time to actually recognize what's really in the Mm. way of you being right here, right now, available and ready to serve because the mission is love is served. So can't serve love if you're filled up right. with fear or worry or anxiety or concern. Because you come to work and whether it's, yeah. oh, you know, like my bike you're worried stolen. about, yeah, or your bike uh, you're worried about, Can't you know, someone that's sick. Yeah. You had a fight with your, your significant or, other. Yeah, exactly. Like, how am I going to pay this bill? Like, whatever it is that we're carrying around yeah. so much and people are showing up to work and that, yeah, the intention to be present, but that, so you're not saying it's not like, we don't want to hear about it, leave it at home. No. Hey, let's bring... Bring Bring presents to it. Open up. Say, because yeah, what it is, it was, and I don't know if you saw what was it like the shadow question it was called, which would then be something like. Some version of what's distracting you. Yeah. What are you worried about? What do you want to be forgiven for? You know, what's, what's your biggest distraction? 
It doesn't, it doesn't, all we're asking you, it's really actually, it's interesting because I hadn't quite seen this before. We're actually asking people to kind of lay out what's disrupting them from really living in their hearts. And then the beauty of this is the other person, the person listening, obviously they're not a therapist, they're a coworker. They're not doing anything. All they do is listen, listen and then they reflect back. Now, today that's called active listening and mirroring. Yeah. You know? But it's huge. And that's it's what huge. I was going to say if you didn't touch on it, that it's so it powerful. So, yeah. So, if I was coming to see, like, what has you in the way of being present right now or yes. something like that? And I'm like, hmm, okay, let me stop and think. Cause most of the time you don't know. You're just like moving through life. Oh, well, you know what? I'm worried that I don't. Have enough money to pay my bills, or you know, and then all I, I really say, want this thing. Yeah, yeah. All I would say is, so Trisha, what I hear you say, and it's like, yeah, that so powerful. What I hear you say, yeah, is, is that you're worried, and that you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. So the key is to repeat back to the person or mirror as accurately as you can. So it's their words, not your words. You don't fix them. You don't change them. You don't coach them. You don't add to, you don't subtract. You just say back what they said. To what you. I hear you say is, and yeah, what I hear you say back. is you're worried and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. So when you think about that, Trish, how do you feel? I feel scared. I feel like I messed up, that I should be further or better at managing my money. So besides scared, Are there any other, how would you say, what's the feeling associated with, I messed up, I should be managing my money. Can you get that into a feeling? Feel not enough or I feel wrong. Mm. Okay, great. So Trish, here's what I hear you say. What I hear you say is that when your attention is on worrying about not having enough money, how you feel is scared. You feel wrong. You feel like you messed up. Anything else? That I'm not enough. That you're not enough. Okay, great. So just let yourself feel that for a moment. Don't push those feelings away. Just feel them. And whenever you're ready, let me know. And I'll ask you the next question. I'm ready. All right. So thank you. First of all, thank you for trusting me, sharing with me. So the next question is, what do you love about your life exactly the way it is right now? I love that I get to do all these amazing things that I want to do and that I put myself out there and um, I get to connect with people Mm. and (laughs) do what brings me joy. Mm, So great, Trish. So I want to acknowledge you. And what I want to acknowledge you for is putting yourself out there. Like, I so appreciate that you haven't disappeared from my life. I mean, I so appreciate that I can find you. And the reason I can find you is because you keep putting yourself out there. (laughs) And it would have been a big missing in my life if. I couldn't have found you. So yeah, thank you for doing that. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for being courageous. Thank you for taking risks and for making yourself available. It's amazing. It's beautiful. So, so much- that's a clear. And when we started with, I was just like throwing out like, this is an idea. So then we were like, oh, okay. So what would it feel like if I was worried about money trying to translate that? But then it got emotional because then I was like, okay, yeah. What does that feel like when I am in moments of yeah. worried about money? And then, but the positive question then made me really pause and think yeah. about it. But it's such a gift because so you're amazing. getting someone out of their head to actually feel it, to actually name it, say it out loud, which is huge. And then we hear it reflected back where sometimes then you can hear, oh, okay. like. Just in a lot of times and just like saying it feels so freeing and then the hearing it back, like 
validates it somehow and sometimes feels makes it feel like it's not that big of a deal yeah. or it'll be okay. I think, you know, I think it's so interesting, Trish, because it's so much, it's so much better to do the clearing than talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And, well, that's why I'm glad we ended up doing it because I was going to say maybe we like <laughs> feel like the power of it is like yeah. to do it. Well, and for me too, for the person who's, you know, holding space or listening, yeah. It's so powerful because the I get to realign my vision with who you really are too. And I get to get present to the gift you are in my life. And that if you weren't putting yourself out there, you might have slipped through the cracks of my life. We might not be sitting here right now totally. but because you make your, which yeah. <laughs> encourages me to like put myself out there, but yeah. to realize, oh, wow. That's what happens in a clearing. That is true. Yeah. I put myself out there. Hi, Jersey. You showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what happens in a clearing is you recognize the similarities. You you get close. You get more related, authentically connected. And that's the result of our community at Cafe Gratitude is the people love each other. They know each other. Because imagine if we did this every day mm-hmm. before we went to work. We just we it's get out there, home. we get our section, we wait on tables. But before that, you and I had done this and we did it over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, it's a whole level, different level yeah. of like. And we've stood for people. this because it's come up as, you know, do yeah, we still need like, do it? Still do, do we that? still need to pay for it? You know, it's the most valuable thing I think we offer. And, you know, it's priceless. You can't really put a price or yeah. a value on that. And yet, you know, people come to work for us. They love it. They're so into it. Six months, nine months, a year down the road. Like, oh, I don't know. Do we, do we have, have to, to get cleared that? today? And that's the human being resisting the practice. Yeah. The practice of being in our hearts. The practice of being closely connected, of caring, of loving. But to opening get, yourself back uh, up. It's them, the resistance. Yeah. Of, but like, we get caught up in. I'm good. Yeah. I'm I got good. It. I'm good. I got it. I just want to get on the floor and work my shift or whatever. Right. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. And then, but so also something that I learned from you guys. So in that clearing process that also, so you acknowledge me after, but that is part of the clearing process, right? That acknowledge the person and it doesn't have to be based on what they've said. And that I've also learned, you can acknowledge somebody for anything when you don't even know them. Yeah. And that, that we can always, you could not know somebody, you know, like you could walk up to a stranger on the street and with your full heart be acknowledging them. And we say acknowledge for a way of being. Yeah. And that's why there doesn't need to be evidence because the truth is in all of us are the seeds of empathy and compassion and generosity and kindness and love and caring. Those seeds are in there. The only reason they may not be evident is because they're unacknowledged. And we know that. It's like, if someone tells you you're beautiful every day, you actually feel beautiful. You grow up feeling beautiful because beauty is nurtured and so beauty arises. If someone's critical of you every day, you grow up feeling less confident or insecure because that's what's been acknowledged. So that's what arises. So if we want to create an environment that we love to be in or a family that we enjoy being a part of, acknowledgement is a key for being able to bring out the best in people. In Cafe Gratitude, acknowledgement is the currency. It's what we use to actually raise the value of our people and of us as a community and an, and an organization. It's through that tool of acknowledgement. And it's highly underutilized today. You know, so mostly, what? yeah, mostly we live in the criticism. And even acknowledging ourselves. Yes, absolutely. Nope, we're not allowed to do that. Yeah. Can't yeah, be that, proud of ourselves. Yeah. Can't feel like. Yeah. 
So it's a great tool. And all of these tools, Trisha, these are what are built into, they were built into the game yeah. and the business is a model of that. They're built into the business. And it's what we teach in our workshops. It's what our books are all about. It's how do we, you know, the final step of my recovery was open up to love, which was loving myself and loving other people. And that's part of this is how we love other people up. and how we love ourselves is to actually recognize really the divine aspects of each other, how we all have that spark of, you know, beauty and, and love and kindness and patience. We all have those and how they show up is we call them forth. We call them what? Forth. Forth? Yeah. You call them forth. Oh, you call them forth. Acknowledgement yeah. is calling them forth. Yeah. Speaking them into existence. That is the power, the power of our words. Yeah. And yeah, that's why I was like thinking of like other things I've learned from you guys. But yeah, basically buy the books. And even the workbook itself is amazing. So transformational for me. And I had it as a 42 day log book that you do every day for 42 days. And it's made to be done with the partner. I had the book for probably a year before I did it because I didn't want to ask somebody to yeah. do that with me. No, I could just <laughs> do it by myself. But I in it or you could follow along so one time jason who as I, when i was touring with him jason Mraz is his joyologist let's do the logbook for it's 42 so days and so we did commit to it and we both had done a lot of personal work at that time i was committed to this work of that so like we were already in that work and that book the logbook after we had already been doing so much work it was hugely transformational and the most powerful part for me was, I don't know what you call it, a call and response affirmations. Uh -huh. Yeah, I partner don't know work. Uh -huh. Where, so in each day, there is, you repeat affirmations like back and forth with your partner. So affirmations had been a big thing for me. And, oh, you know, I read, you write it and, you know, say them out loud to the mirror. And that was, you guys would definitely have that too. Say it out loud in the mirror, write it, this. But the most transformational was that. So it's, you know, then like, so I'm saying I am worthy. And, and then he says, you are worthy. You are worthy. Yeah. I am worthy. You are worthy. Over yeah. and over 11 times. And the emotional back in that hearing it reflected back to me. I don't, I cried so many times. So that's the, <laughs> that's the naming of the dishes. See someone orders, right. yeah. I am loved. And we bring it to the table and say, you are loved. And yeah. it's a latte, right? So yeah. It's, and you know, some people aren't up for it. And like I said, that was considered woo woo and kind of hippie 16 years ago when we started this. Today, there's evidence, there's scientific, scientific evidence. evidence, there's people who have gotten doctorate, doctorate <laughs> degrees in the power of like you're affirming. reframing yes. your brain or like, yeah, that's yeah. what, um, repairing a yeah, client repairing I was working with recently is a, um, she's about she's in school to be a therapist and to get her doctorate or whatever. Yeah. And she was like, you know, a lot of your work is C cognitive behavior. Uh -huh. What does she call CBT or something? And I was like, what's that? Cognitive she was like, behavior therapy. She was like, a lot of the things that you teach and that you've actually been sharing with me are actually, and I was like, oh, I don't know. And that's what a lot of things I've picked up from you guys and from other work. And that I was like, but I, a lot of my stuff is like mindset work and cho word choices and shifts and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, that it is now like, yeah, like, oh, cool. Yeah. Now there's proof that it's actually valid. <laughs> I'm so smart. You're so Great. smart. Yeah. But yeah, that affirmations back and forth was, that was huge for me. Like in so many different layers of still thinking, 
I have been in the self-love game since I chose love at or live at 15 in this. Like even me, that they're still constantly on layers. And how good is that? Constantly that we never on stop growing. Yeah, even you. Like, yeah, yeah 70th at, year of life, the, I'm yeah. still... At the what am I going to do when said I something about like that, like, oh, and I just recently, I was like, Terses? I know. What? Like, yeah, it's like, it's never ending. Yeah. Isn't so, that good? That's presencing good. the now. Yeah, so good. <laughs> Keep growing. All right. So I'll go to which, um, oh, you know what? First thing, I, this, I thought about this a couple of times before we get to the questions, talking about being a parent now and that, you know, like, that's a thing conscious parenting and realizing all these woundings and things and that it's such an interesting thing. And I actually saw somebody post something on Instagram this week that is not a parent that has a shit ton of followers. And it was sort of, and it was a post about like, let's raise children that don't have to recover from their childhoods or something mm-hmm. like that. And I read that and it kind of made me mad because I was like, that's a great thought. But what I feel like is no matter how great you are at raising kids and now how great you are as a parent, kids are going to probably have some trauma to recover from. Well, and the thing is, I don't even think that you want to avoid that. You know, it's like if you live your life trying to avoid it, you're probably going to raise some pretty paranoid kids. Totally. That's what I'm saying. Like you could be the most conscious, amazing. And then how did that rewire it? Because even just you're saying, oh, the it's okay. Like my kid falls. Oh, it's okay. Oh, wait, am I allowed to tell them it's okay? Like, you know, it's like we can be so in our heads about things that I'm just like, you know what? I'll be at the playground. My daughter doesn't want to leave. Come on, Zia, this. I'll try everything. And then finally I have to go, okay, Zia or Arrow and I are leaving. And then I'm like, oh, shit, is this the thing that's caused all of her trauma? You know, about when I was four, my mom pretended I was leaving. It's like, I feel like there's going to be something no matter how hard you try, no matter conscious parents that like, yeah. Like, what was your view? And then, I mean, your kids were different ages while you were going through this transformation yourself and now as a grandparent. Yeah, and- well, I would say it's more as a grandparent. I have a better answer because, you know, my kids today ask me about my pregnancies and I'm like, you don't really want to hear. Or they ask me about, you know, raising when they were younger. You know, the thing is, I, I was always fun to be around. I was always happy. I was always loving. And I had this whole secret life. So I just right. think it's important to recognize that, um, you know, there were, there were valuable lessons and things that were taught. And then there was also this dysfunctional side of my life, but now I have grandchildren, the age I was when the abuse happened. So that's been a whole interesting Mm -hmm. thing to look at. And now you're awake and conscious. But I would say, you know, Again, because we live in the age of information, I think parents of young children are inundated with all of this expectation and so much information. And, you know, the mantra I I kind of live my life by is really what would love do now? So I'm just, that's how I stay in my heart. That's how I access my heart. Like if love was here, what would love do? Because I'm not always present to that love is here right now, just because I am. But ultimately where you are, love is. Now, can you access that? And then I think it's really about, you know, I think there's an element of slowing down. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an element of just having your kids feel safe and cared for. Yeah. But it doesn't mean they aren't going to have things to work through. But even being able to create a family time around a family meal, yeah. which a lot of people don't have anymore. And just to be able to talk about it and to share about things, to create it so it's a safe place for them to share and have conversations. I think that's valuable. Yeah, And it doesn't mean you'll always agree. And it doesn't mean things won't happen to them. 
but it means there's a safe harbor where they can come and share about them. I mean, I, I can only look back and imagine if how different it would have been had I felt like there was a safe harbor where I could share, but I I didn't have that, you know? And so I think there's just checking in with your kids all yeah. the time, you know? I mean, you have so many yeah. of these tools and involving kids in that. Um, and recognizing like expectations aren't what's going to have you be a great parent, no. but slowing down and having compassion and connecting those, yeah. those will be. Cause that's what I felt like in reading that statement, you're just then creating more fear on a mm -hmm. parent of like, again, then I'm going to be bearing the weight of like, yeah. so yeah, but if I show up, what would love to now, yeah. I want my children to feel safe and feel heard. How do I want my children to feel? How do I want to feel? How do I, that like, yeah, because it's like trauma's everywhere going to happen. Whether that's they fall, they have somebody picks on them at school, like yeah. whatever. If it's like, sure, to not tr try to do everything you can to not be the cause of that. Yeah. But like life is... Life happens. I mean, I when I came back from the work I had done at Onsite, you know, I met with all my kids and shared my experience with them. Because one of the things that I became very aware of is like the trauma that I experienced. And I was a parent living with unresolved trauma. And so... Yes, of course, my kids had experienced trauma. So being able to, again, share with them and name and identify it and just let them know like, hey, whenever they're ready to do that work, there is support available for you. Because of course, they experienced trauma in living with yeah. a parent who struggled. Of course, they did. But I don't think my life was supposed to be making sure they didn't. No, my li your life, your work is heal yourself. Yeah. You know, your, your life and be as transparent and open about that as you can. Which I think that was probably the intention of that person's post. It's basically like, do your work, people. Like, heal your stuff. Like, heal, work through your things so that you're not passing it along to your children and creating this. We don't talk about this or whatever. But yeah, I was just like, okay, but then like yeah. things are going to like happen. Yeah. Like don't be too hard on yourselves because like, you can. It could be, I could then be living so in fear at every yourself. moment of how are they going to take this? How are well, they going to be? Young I just ruin do. them? Like, I think there is a lot of fear. And then young you have a child that's living with a parent that yeah. is frozen in fear. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, so which keychain oh, did you yeah. choose and why? So I picked I am enough, which was interesting because you were sharing about that's one of your, and I think, you know, if, did you want to ask me what this is, why I picked yeah, that? Yeah, why okay, you were right. drawn to that one. Well, it's interesting because I think I'm at this place now where I'm actually looking at the next chapter of my life. And and for those of you that don't know, I'm in like my 70th year of life. <laughs> I'm actually <laughs> still done. living. So, um, and, you know, for the first time, I actually feel like I'm being called to kind of step out on my own. You know, I've had an identity that's been very connected to Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre for 20 years. And um, and even your husband. And my husband. Matthew and Tercy. Matthew and Tercy, you know, we're <laughs> connected, we're combined. And, um, and I'm actually being asked to kind of step out on my own. And like I said, you know, write a book and share my own story and you know, I've talked to you about doing a podcast. And so, you know, I'm always, I've always been one of those people that like better together, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I like doing things in partnership. I like to go out to, you know, dinner together. I like to watch a movie together. Mm -hmm. You know, I like that. I've always, for as long as I can remember, I love to share. Um, 
And so I'm actually now being asked to kind of confront that identity and I have mixed feelings. I have both like a deep sadness, like I don't really want to, I mean, I'm bumped at bumping up against, I don't want to, I don't want to do it alone. I don't want to, but what I'm seeing in this process, what I'm being led to is it's also me connecting with, you know, my inner spiritual beliefs. Like I'm actually not alone. Yeah. I have a big God. I have a big, you know, I have a big love that guides me. And, and that's what I'm being asked to confront is just like, I am enough. You know, I, I, I can trust, I can be trusted. I can trust. So now it's kind of the next level of all these things that have, you know, brought me through, you know, my, my 69 years and And now what's next is, I think, really finding my own voice and having an independent voice. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, like I said, writing a book and yeah, it's been an amazing, amazing process. So keep going, you guys. It's never over. It's never over. Yeah. Like how amazing is that? And I'm meeting some amazing people. No, and that's what I've been loving that. Yeah. I'm like, Tercy's is popping up into like all my worlds yeah. of like the new connections I've made. And I there's Tercy's and I've been loving seeing Tercy's. It was on this panel, Tercy's with Yellow Conference. Tercy's I like, know. I've been, I've been so excited to see. That's great. Because I think <laughs> of course so highly of you and like, yes, of course. And so I've loved the like, She's coming off the farm into the world, yeah. people, like yeah. on her own. like <laughs> Yeah, it's really, and, and it's not easy for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Even like, you know, on my Instagram post, it, it was so much easier for me to take pictures of other things or other people. And I'm like, okay, I've got to start doing this. I have to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been powerful too. I mean, even like just going to onsite by myself and I went to a workshop in Mexico by myself. I've just never been a kind of do it on my own. Hmm. I've just never been that interested in it. And yet I can tell that I'm being led to do that. And I just, like I said, Trish earlier, I know that if I want to continue to be led, I need to follow the guidance and then the next step will show up. So that's what I'm doing. Love it. Um, this might, you might've already just said the answer to the next question is <laughs> that so I ask everybody, I, I Often I'm thinking what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. Oh, but of yeah. course, we often fall into, well, it's just easiest to do, to eat this, to do this, to mm-hmm. do that. But what is best for me? And so I ask everyone to apply that to their own life of what is easiest for me is to do this. What is best for me? So it could just be what you said. What's easiest for me is to do things in partnership, what's best. Yeah. But it could this apply to many different things in your life. Yeah. And I also would say it's easiest for me to like put other people's needs first mm. or it's easiest for me to care for others, you know, um, I'm most motivated by other people's needs, wants, and desires. It's much, oh wait, you didn't ask me what was hard for me. You asked me what was best. But yeah, I think it's, I I think what's best. Instead of what's hard is saying what's best. Choosing it's hard for what's best is. Yeah. So I would say, you know, what's best is, you know, is, I said at at Unwell, it was like, I used to just poo-poo self-love. I was like, because I grew up in that environment, you know, of it's just, it's kind of just not necessary. Like it, you know, just, and I've just seen how loving myself is actually what's best for me. And ultimately that's what's best for others. And it's still a stretch. It's still a stretch for me to put 
you know, my need, I don't even identify as I have needs. So it's like, you don't even identify that you have. So so it's like needs, wants, or desires, you know, those have been so pushed aside. And so really what's best for me is just to begin to model and identify how I can, um, you know, embrace those and, you know, live a passionate and purposeful and meaningful life, making a difference for others, but not at the expense of, you know, myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's honestly another gift of my struggle with pain is that it forces me that I have to pay attention to myself first. I have to lay down and rest. I have to make sure Mm -hmm. meeting, I have to like check in with myself or else I like cannot then really show up. Mm -hmm. And then also even just for everybody, like the personality shift of like, whether it's self-care or self-love and that, you know, it can be like, oh, I can't do that because that's selfish. But I feel like it's the least selfish thing because how do you feel when you're taking care of yourself, when you're checking, checking in with yourself, when you are putting yourself first? You feel, I, I feel lit up. I feel of joy. I feel connected. I feel grounded. I feel inspired. So that means everybody else in my life gets to experience that version of me. Mm-hmm. But when I'm putting my, even my children, like if I'm doing everything, I have to do everything for them first that, then I can feel drained. I can be quick with them. I can be like snippy because I haven't been taking care of myself best. So it's like, which version of the world of you do you want the world to experience? So great. Maybe take five minutes for yourself. Like maybe whatever. Yeah, start Say somewhere. no to those things. Like just, yeah. But like, that's something that I feel like helps remind me and other people too. like, well, what version of you do you want people to experience? And even if you think, well, I am a great person and I am so good at giving people, but like what happens though the next level of that, if you are then focusing first on your own needs. Well, and also, what are you modeling for those that uh, come yeah. up here? For me, it was really even as simple as something as I'm a morning person. And so for me, it's as simple as going to bed sooner because I love getting up really early. But yet, that's not necessarily my husband's pattern or the pattern. Right. And so, like having that be a priority take something because but yet, you would want to stay up late so because better. he does yeah, he loves to stay up late and watch movies right and that would be something that we do together but the truth is what's best for me is to go to bed early and get up i love getting up super early when it's quiet i love watching the sunrise i write in the morning i so those are all the things that you know are best for me but not necessarily easiest yeah yeah love it Okay. The final question is the name of the podcast is Claim It, which I already said. Why? That's like, it's up to us every day. Choose how we want to feel. Claim how we want to feel. Claim our lives, our joy, our worth, our enoughness, our value. What are you claiming for yourself? Um, what am I claiming for myself? It's a great question. Um, I, what, what's actually showing up for me is, is my life. You're claiming your life. Yeah, my life. Yeah, to be fully alive. Love it. Yeah, thank Thank you, you, Tercies. I love you so much. Love you, Trisha. So So proud of you. To see what's even coming next from you. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Love you. So many, so many, so many good things to take from this episode. But can you believe Tercies is 70? And like she was saying, a lot of the things that she did in her life, creating Cafe Gratitude and beyond, we're well into her life. So one thing to take with you, there's time for you. There is time for you to do the things that you want to do, to be the person that you want to do, to let go of the shit that's been holding you back, to heal yourself, to own who you are. There is time for you. 
All right. For more Tercies, go follow her on Instagram at Tercies. You can go to belovefarm.com. Of course, Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre are all throughout Southern California and in Northern California as well. They host retreats and workshops still. There will be links in the show notes to go check them out and links to their books because really super, super impactful to me. And I've done a lot of different work and I really, really resonate with their work and their way of seeing things and their tools, Tercy's and Matthew, her husband. For full show notes, yourdwelljust.com slash podcast. For all things me, yourdwelljust.com and at yourdwelljust. Please subscribe to the podcast. That means something to me, but also to the land of podcasting and getting it out to more people, more listeners to affect more people. And I would love for you to share about it. Make sure tag me. If you leave a review on the podcast, you can screenshot it to me and send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com. That's me. And I'll send you a little gift from my product line because I got lots of goodies, inspirational products that will brighten your day and remind you to own who you are. All right, final thought of today. What are you claiming for yourself right now? What do you want to feel? Who are you? Own it. Claim it. Go have an awesome day.